Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, a.k.a. Today's She-Hulk, because I have a Hulk mug and a Hulk shirt in the Hulk room Yeah, today. I, I like the idea that you're not just She-Hulk, but you're today She-Hulk. Like a, a new version <laughs> of She-Hulk who's just like... This is just who she is today. Yeah. Um, I, it makes me feel like I'm in a magazine like, today She-Hulk. Ooh. <laughs> I would read that. Pick um, it up at the Daily Bugle. This is episode number 401. And if you are just joining us on This Week in Marvel, we're going to run through all kinds of stuff. We're going to be talking about things that are happening for all the different parts of Marvel, movies, television, video games, hey, comics. What, Lorraine? There's one thing that we can't wait for. What? Comic-Con! Comic-Con! Give me the fui-fui. Fui-fui-fui! Yeah! Uh, we say that because Comic-Con is... I just had a little heart palpitation. It is. Yeah, it like, makes your head swim a little bit for a minute when you think about away? it. Oh, no. When I mean, yes and no. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's kind of like um, gird your loins. It's Comic-Con. Get all the loins out. And gird them. Just like get in a line and... Gird, gird your them. loins. Yeah. Uh, we just released this week uh, some details on Marvel's Comic-Con extravaganza, everything that's going on. Um, you know, we revealed our uh, panels, signings, live stream coverage. Of course, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will make its Hall H debut, which is Ooh. huge. Hall H is also going to have Marvel games. We're going to have a 10th anniversary Women of Marvel panel. Variant comic books that are going to be uh, available in our Marvel Comics panel. We are going to be there live streaming for days upon days. Um, so much. We're going to have a panel. This Week in Marvel is oh, going to yeah, have that's a panel. Right. I forget because there's so much happening. Yeah, so you guys should come out and hang out with us in real life at San Diego Comic-Con. Go over to Marvel.com to see the full rundown of our schedule and our panels. And, of course, you can watch the live stream at Marvel.com slash SDCC, just 19. So SDCC 19. And we'll be live streaming all weekend long. So even if you're not going to be at the con, you can still watch along with us and see all the cool stuff that we're doing. Yeah. So there's news and all that stuff on the website. I just wanted to put that up top to let you guys know, but we are actually going to do our bigger Comic-Con preview next week. We want to know if you're going to be there. If you are going to Comic-Con, tweet us. Tweet at Agent M, at Lorraine Sink, at Persia Verlin. She's shaking her head no, but yes. Yeah, do it, please. She wants to know you're going to be there because she's going to be at our panels. You're going to see her in person. Triple P will be there and, in reality. And let's see if you can perturb her. <laughs> That's not hard. <laughs> she <laughs> mouthed it easy. as I was saying it. Uh, yeah, so it's it's very exciting. Please, and of course, use the hashtag this week in Marvel. That is our big thing this week. But our interview this week is a fun one. Yeah, this week it's dangerous. Donny Cates and rugged Ryan Stegman. I like that you gave them Stanley style alliterative names. Um, are they always dangerous and rugged? Because I don't think I've heard that a lot. I I've always I think we've always called Donny dangerous. Just because he's the sweetest dude. I would and say he, he should be darling Donny Cates. Oh. And really nice Ryan Stegman. Mm, you've, you've met Ryan. That's okay, not true that's at all. Okay, that's not true. How about Rambunk. really really rascally? That's true. Okay. Yeah. And then we got to get him a little rascal sco- scooter. <gasps> and give him a little alfalfa style hair thing. Yeah, we'll work on it. I'm into it. But... You got to talk with him, right? Yes, I did. Uh, you guys talked about working together, uh, some absolute carnage, because absolute carnage is coming up. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, we've got Donnie and Ryan. Talk to them. Uh, it's going to be real fun, and that's going to be later in the episode. But we, right now, 
We've got to get to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. Yeah, Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame comes out on July 30th on digital in HD, 4K Ultra HD, and on movies anywhere. It's going to be followed by a physical release on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, DVD, and on demand beginning on August 13th. Y'all know that the best thing about it coming home is the cool stuff that comes with it. So there are going to be bonus features, including a tribute to the great Stan Lee, the tale of Robert Downey Jr.'s casting as Iron Man, and then the evolution of Captain America, Black Widow's dramatic story arc. The directors, Anthony and Joe Russo, are going to talk about what it's like to be at the helm of both Marvel Studios' Avengers Infinity War and Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame because those two were shot together. Um, the making of that big, huge, epic battle scene with the women when they come together and they're like, we're, we're, I can't remember what they say, but they're like, we're, she's not alone. That's what it is. She's not alone, sucker. And then they shank them. That's my retelling, not the actual movies. Pretty accurate. <laughs> And then there's going to be the creation of Thor daddy suit, uh, some deleted scenes, a gag reel, commentary, lots more. For full details on what you can find in the home release, you can check out Marvel.com. Yeah. What I find fascinating is how there were essentially this this crossover of four movies being shot at the same time. Because you had Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War goes right into Marvel Studios mm-hmm. Avengers Endgame. But there's part of those movies where Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel is also being shot. Yep. It's actually, I think, some of her it stuff It started was, towards the end. Yeah. And then, at the same time, as some of the stuff that's happening for Endgame, Spider-Man Far From Home is mm-hmm. being shot. Yep. It's wild. Yeah. It. I mean, I can't even imagine their shooting schedules, and some... Sometimes they're shooting in Georgia. Sometimes they're shooting in London. And Far From Home shot mostly abroad. But it's kind of crazy to think that they're bouncing back and forth internationally as well and trying to track different films at different times. So kudos to you, Marvel Studios, and everyone involved, because that's a lot of work. A heck of a lot of work. Uh, All right, what else are we excited about this week? Oh, yeah, we've got plenty of new content coming to all the Marvel games uh, inspired by Spider-Man Far From Home. You can get more details on Marvel.com or on the Marvel Games Twitter, but there's really fun Spidey stuff in Marvel Contest of Champions, Marvel Future Fight, Marvel Battle Lines, Marvel Strike Force, and Marvel Puzzle Quest. So many Marvels. It's like, that's the actual title, but it's like, I have to keep saying Marvel. Our TwimURC reminder is that our 2000s episode will probably come in August because still Comic-Con is taking over everything in the best way possible. But the 90s episode is still live. Hope you guys keep enjoying it. Hey, let's talk about this week in Marvel history. Yeah, we're talking about the week of July 5th through the 11th across Marvel history. Uh, first up, we have July 9th, 1951. Patsy Walker, number 37, is released. You'd be like, what? What happened in 37? Well, I've done plenty of digging in my research across all the stuff this year. And to the best of my knowledge, this is the first Atlas Comics release. Uh, I believe all the issues we released that were cover dated November 1951, as this was, were the first to get the Atlas logo on their covers. And I think this one may have been the first chronologically at least based on the dates in the Library of Congress. That's how I, for the older books, we don't have like a specific on-sale date because they were just you know released. But Library of Congress has dates, and that's where we go off of for some of these older ones. Um, So I believe that is the first. That's like a really good find. 
That's a hot ticket because you can't just like Google that. No. And I was surprised because I was hoping like what is the first? And it was just like a general, a lot of general information. I did a lot of sleuthing. At least it wasn't like one of those, the weirder titles that's like Sally Squash and her squash friends or whatever. <laughs> Can you please pitch Sally Squash <laughs> and her squash friends to CB? Yeah, it's a it's a woman who is a squash, but they all play squash. I'm into it. All right, let's move a decade ahead to July 11th, 1961, because Stanley, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby gift the universe with Fin Fang Foom. Oh, boy. Strange Tales, number 89. He whose limbs shatter mountains and whose back scrapes the sun. Foom is, he's really, like, the best of, of like, the top five Marvel characters. Is that he's, like, why you have two? a mustache? I have a tattoo of him. I know I you have do. a mustache that is slightly foomish. Uh, he's, he's he's a space dragon. He wears tiny little pants. He's been a farmer. I love him. Who do you like more, Godzilla or Fing Fang Foom? Oh, no. Actual smoke is coming out of Agent F's ears. I he's turning blue and red and green. There's more, more material where Godzilla is allowed to shine that makes that, – that gives you more – to the character. So when Fing Fang Foom gets 20 movies, yeah. then you'll be like, all right. Yeah, 35. That's fair. Whatever, yeah. There it is. All right, July 9th, 1964, Green Goblin's Goblin Glider and Pumpkin Bombs appear for the first time in Amazing Spider-Man number 17. How appropriate for Spider-Man. Yeah. Because Spider-Man. We like Sp- Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. And then the series Patsy and Hetty becomes Patsy and Hetty Career Girls with issue number 96. They're graduated and they're ready for the workforce. Yeah. it's I, That's actually pretty like a pretty big feminist move, though, to say, like, it's not Patsy and Hetty, ladies who got married and made a babies. <laughs> you're pitching some great books today. <laughs> Monday is doing it. Oh, Patsy and Hetty got to make it over to the typewriters and learn how to take shorthand. I did the voiceover for our romance comics when we were celebrating in February the 1950s. And my favorite character was one of the girls that's friends with Patsy is like, Jasbo. Oh, Jasbo. Why don't you love Jasbo? And it's like, what my, is Jasbo? Jasbo is some dork who oh. was trying to like hit on the ladies, full fedora, that guy. Oh. You know? Yeah. And he was like, what's up, ladies? Rub my neck beard. <laughs> anyway, let's keep this train rolling. <laughs> July 7th, 1966. Uh, we got a bunch of fun stuff. The Rampaging Rhino debuts in Amazing Spider-Man number 41 by Stanley and John Romita. I would say he's definitely one of the most iconic Spider-Man villains. Great look, cool powers. Neat horn. Fun. Yeah, he's got a good horn. Just like the best horn. Anyway, in Captain America story featured in Tales of Suspense number 82, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby introduced the Adaptoid. He's mm. in a, he is an artificial, I guess not he, it is an artificial being created by AIM to kill Captain America. Uh, the Adaptoid actually poses as Jarvis this issue. You find out he's like knocked Jarvis out, thrown him in a closet, and then he drugs Captain America and pretends to be Steve for the next issue. And he's just like, well, I guess I'm going to be Captain America. And then uh, the Tumblr shows up the next issue, the makes his Tumblr. debut. He's just like a circus guy. And he's like, Woo, 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 woo. He's like flying, he flopping around. He just tumbles. He just tumbles. It's terrific. Uh, and then he fights Captain America, the Adaptoid. Eventually, the Adaptoid would level up and become the Super Adaptoid. 
Indeed. Yes. Uh, and then over in Avengers number 32 by Stanley and Don Heck, Bill Foster appears for the first time, joining Hank Pym in some big sciencing. Bill would later go on to take the mantle and powers of Goliath. Uh, Bill Foster, really cool character. Also this issue, the Sons of the Serpent debut, who are a terrible and sadly all too modernly relevant group of bad guys who want to drive all foreigners out of America. And like that is their thing. They go, they like, no foreigners, get out of America. And at one point, they like threaten Bill Foster. I'm like, he's an American. What do you do? I don't understand. They're just straight racist. Yep. They're garbage. And I'm very glad the Avengers beat the crap out of them. Heartily agree with you. Next up, July 8th, 1980, Captain America runs for president of the United States and Captain America number 250. He, well, not really. The issue by Roger Stern and John Byrne is awesome. And it's about Cap thinking about his place and role. Well, a third party tries to convince him to run for president. They print up buttons and signs, which uh, account for that cool cover. Great cover. Such a good cover. And uh, they get the papers involved. It's a fun issue, especially the montage of heroes and characters reacting to the possibility of Captain America's run. There's a, yeah, there's there's great moments where like Spider-Man is reading the newspaper upside down. He's like, hmm, oh. And like uh, the Avengers all are like, oh. Like everybody's sort of like, I'd vote for him or I wouldn't. Oh, why would he do this? Like, it's a lot of great little bits of cameos. Is he going to be available to fight the Nazis? <laughs> hmm. Um, there is a ton of cool behind-the-scenes notes from Stern about how that story came to be as well. It was originally pitched a year earlier with Cap actually becoming the president. Can you imagine if Cap was president of the Marvel Universe? In 1980. So they, they actually yeah. wanted to do four years of Captain America's president stories. That would be so interesting, especially when you consider that those were the Ronald Reagan years. Yeah. All right, July 5th, 1994, Double Mutant debuts. The mutant who would later be known as Maro, or Mero, <laughs> if you're an Most American. Humans. The mutant who'd be known as Mero first debuts as Sarah in Cable Number 15 by Jeff Loeb and David Brewer. If you're not familiar with that character, bone splinters, just like a Crap ton of bone splinters just flying off. What a terror. I just, I find it truly nauseating. <laughs> <laughs> Poor girl. She's like. It's not her fault. I it's know. just pretty gross to be like, I'm going to shoot my bones at you. <laughs> I'm going to make bones. bones and then throw them at you. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching a. Drink a, your milk. <laughs> I was watching a Gamera movie uh, this weekend, as I do. And one of the monsters had little, like, kind of like bone arrows. It would shoot out of its horns. It was gross. I loved it. Next up, Uncanny X-Men number 316 by Scott Lobdell. Lobdell? Lobdell. Lobdell. And Joe Matarera. It's a neat one. It's kind of the first part of the Phalanx uh, Covenant event, especially the Next Generation thread of things. There are about a dozen issues in that event spread across three stories. The idea is that the Phalanx is an alien race who have been used by mutant-hating jerks to wreak havoc on mutant kind. The Phalanx is a techno-organic race. Uh, think like a techno-organic virus like Cable. They assimilate beings into their collective. It's a fun 90s story, and the key is that it's teeing up the Generation X characters team and comic. And in this issue, we're introduced to M, a.k.a. Monet St. Croix. Croix or Croix. 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 I, I feel like her name is now like LaCroix. 
Yeah. Right? Sure. The only mutant not sponsored by the beverage of the same name. Um, but actually, it's not really M. Uh, here's where it gets really wonderful and weird. The M we know for a few years is, in fact, her younger twin sisters who merged together and pretended to be Monet. And it's wild. Like, why not? I, like, I forgot a lot of this stuff. And as I was going back and flipping through some comics and then going, I was like, wait, what did we do? Uh, all right, we got to keep going. Uh, July 8th, 2005, Fantastic Four film hits theaters. July 9th, 2008, Ashley Barton, Clint's daughter in The Wasteland, appears in Wolverine number 67. It's the second part of the original Old Man Logan story by Mark Miller and uh, Steve McNiven. Oh, and Anna Kravinov, uh, daughter of Sergei Kravinov, debuts in the new Craven, The Hunter, and Amazing Spider-Man number 565 by Mark Guggenheim and Phil Jimenez. And then later she'd be killed by Craven. Yeah, is a sad. Yeah, he's a jerk. Anyway, July 6, 2011, America Chavez debuts in the pages of Vengeance number one by Joe Casey and Nick Dragota. She's right here. She's really cool. She bust up a bunch of stuff. I'm honestly obsessed with the fact that she is so of the time. Like, she's got her low-slung jeans and, like, a crop top. She's, like, killing it with the Britney Spears vibes. It's so excellent. Is that of the times, though? 2011? It might be a little behind. Yeah. (laughs) It's, like, five years behind, but I do not care. It's great. I I was reading it. I was like, that's a... I like her current look. Oh, I... more recent looks. Oh, yeah, no. jacket. Like, the Jamie McKelvey design... Uh, revision from Young Avengers, that's when it gets legit. Oh, yeah, but I just find it to be hilarious. Totally. Uh, and, and yeah, of course, she debuts in Vengeance. She's here for the that series, but really, like, she takes off in Young Avengers by Karen Gillan and um, Jamie McKelvey. For sure. Uh, July 11th, 2012, Avenging Spider-Man number nine has the sort of first appearance of Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Terry Dodson. Uh, technically, it's both the first and second appearance for Carol as Captain Marvel. It released a week before Captain Marvel number one, but it takes place after that story. Continuity. You know. It, Whatever. It is what it is. Um, also, I love the story of that flight suit because Kelly Sue DeConnick made a bet with Jamie McKelvey that if he would design it, she could get Marvel to pay for it because she hadn't like worked out the details yet. And so Jamie, of course, drew that iconic flight suit. Marvel loved it, bought it. And now we have Captain Marvel and a million billion stoked cosplayers. Yeah. So good. Hooray. Comics. Uh, All right, last couple here. July 10th, 2014, Marvel Universe Live, the traveling arena show, launches. It's super fun. We did uh, behind the scenes of that on Thwip, the big Marvel show a couple years ago. I'm sure we've done stuff since. So many motorcycles and flying things. Mm. Uh, July 7th, 2017, Spider-Man Homecoming swings into theaters just a couple years ago. Yeah. And then last year, July 6th, 2018, Ant-Man and the Wasp is released into theaters. Yeah, the first co-led female co-lead co in a Marvel Studios film. Yeah, nailed it. Great. Stuck the landing. Uh, but that is the stuff we're talking about in the history. This week, top books from the episode of Marvel's Apollos that went out this week include Arrow, number one, Fantastic Four, The Prodigal Son, number one, Savage Avengers, number three, and Star Wars, Target to Vader, number one. 
Um, is that when he just goes to Target and he picks up some stuff and he's like, oh, I just need like one or two things. But then he's like, oh, I bought all this stuff. Why did I buy all this stuff? But a Keurig is on sale. <laughs> we need a new one for the Death Star. Oh, Vady. <laughs> all right. You guys subscribe to Marvel's Pool List wherever you get your podcasts and watch video versions on Marvel.com with my nemesis, Tucker Marcus. Ryan's other human. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, all right. Our interview this week is with Dangerous Donny Cates and Rugged Ryan Stegman. No, no, no. It's Darling Donny Cates and Rascally Ryan Stegman. <laughs> I'll fight you for it. We should put up a poll. <laughs> yeah. Tw- let's put up a Twitter poll. We'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're great. They were here for some fun stuff. This is actually, this interview was done uh, a little bit back, but it's still great because they're wonderful. And reminder, Absolute Carnage number one comes out August 7th, 2019. Roll the tape. Oh, hi, it's Donnie and Ryan. How y'all doing? I'm good. Thank you. I'm great. Yeah. yeah. So you have been here at Marvel headquarters for this week and you've been working together. It, it feels like Good energy. I came into the room and you guys are excited. You're happy. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're just bubbling. How's the last couple of days been? Great. Yeah. Great. Ryan and I's friendship is strained to the point of breaking, but <laughs> but 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 we're doing great. We've been, yeah, like you said, for like two days now, just breaking out this big thing that we're doing. And it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, I've never done this before. I mean, you've he's been to other retreats and stuff, but this is the first time I've seen how it all works and it's been really enlightening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want I want to go back a little bit. What was the first time the two of you connected about working together on anything? Well, we've kind of run in the same circles for a mm-hmm. long time, but we don't really we didn't really know each other. And then Devin told me that Stegman wanted to do the book and they wanted him to do the book and I called him just to see gauge like what that was going to be like and everything. And then we ended and the, up, I'm sorry, the Devin you mentioned is Devin Lewis. Devin Lewis, editor, editor on Venom, yeah. Great editor, um, good guy. Yeah, phenomenal guy. And then we uh, got on the phone and ended up talking for like four hours. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say there was also a moment in there when you said, I just turned in the script for the biggest thing of my career. And I said, I DM'd you. I said, what is it? And you said, it's Venom. And I wrote back and I said, why am I not drawing that? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And we got on the phone and I was supposed to just like, you know, just talk to him and tell him a little bit about what we're doing on the first arc. And we ended up just talking about like the first like four years of the mm-hmm. book. And so it's been, I mean, I was talking about it earlier, but like it's, there's, I've never had a, like a partner on a book like this. I mean, I've had a lot of my friends and everything, but like. I mean, the fact that I can just, like, take an issue off and Ryan can step in and write that, like, that's not something you see in teams, like, ever. I mean, if you look at us on Twitter, like, there's not really a team that's, like, this on board as far as, like, being cheerleaders. Yeah. For, I mean, like, they got, like, Tom King and Mitch and stuff, but, like, honestly, who cares? Yeah. Right? And I just think that fans really dig it. Like, I, I think fans get excited because they see us getting excited, like, for each other. Yeah, we're very excitable people, so. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, it's genuine, too. Like, yeah, it is. You, guys, yeah. you are super excited about yeah. the things that you're doing and working together and having mm-hmm. fun and getting to do what you want to do. Right. Absolutely. Like, was the venom that you guys, like, this four-hour, four-year conversation, is the venom that you were talking about then – where you are now has it like has it veered much has the story morphed and changed much no is that does that surprise you or is that just like yeah this is we you were so laser focused well i would say i took the book because when he told me about it i was like that's exactly the stuff i want to do and so it was like we started on it there was never any 
really any deviation at no, all? No, not so far. No, I mean, my original Bible that I turned into Devon and to CB and stuff, that went through some changes for sure. Um, like it was going to open on more Carnage stuff and, and, and CB very wisely pulled it back and was just like, let's pace that out. Let's tease that mm-hmm. out more. Um, but after like, after CB and Devin and I and Nick Lowe talked about it and formed it into this like four year, five year massive plan, I went to Ryan and it hasn't changed an inch. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. so cool. Yeah. I think a lot of the reason that it has worked out is because a lot of what we've done on the book is create new stuff rather than grab other people's toys right. and try and use them. So, you know, we're not stepping on anybody's toes. So Yeah, that was, that, was, that was part of the Bible was just like, let's try and get Venom his own lore and his yeah. own mythology so that he's not just this Spider-Man bad guy who has his own spinoff book. Let's, right. let's make a world for him. And so I think that's right, dude, is like that we've been able to just like put him in his own little pocket and explore that before we start to like bring him back into the Marvel U and Absolute Carnage very much is his like coming out party mm-hmm. is like this character that we've built up and given him his own world, that world now exploding into the Marvel U. Yeah, I, I said to him the other day, he had this, these plans for Null, this character, but and and that everything kind of hinged on that. If people hated Null yeah. and weren't buying the book because they were like, oh, who is this? You know, we probably would have been in trouble. But since they bought into this new stuff that we created, we've been able to just keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it is all the new stuff that you created. But part of the beauty of the book is that it is very much a Marvel title and it, it feeds off of decades of lore and sure. story and the way you guys have been able to thread you know just the symbol into mm-hmm. the, like oh yeah that was it's always been like that because of mm-hmm. this story that you right. create like finding those things i think has been so important and why you're so successful because you are a crazed venom fan yeah. and there are so many of you out there mm-hmm. that they're they're just like yes this is this is the book right Which yeah is- i mean a lot of it was just like i wanted to prove that this guy can stand on his own in a big way obviously I, i'm not the first guy to do that but yeah it was just i wanted to build out his own mythology and i this honestly just comes from like the world's biggest venom fans like getting a hold of the character and kind of being told like go nuts yeah you know um and like the stuff with null and the and the dragon symbol and tying it into thor and stuff like that that's just a guy who's been reading venom comics since he was three and has had questions his whole life and wanted to play i mean this is all just what happens when like fanfic becomes real (laughs) you know it's been a blast man i'm already sad about a day that comes when i'm not doing it which is far, far, far away, but uh, it's been awesome. Yeah. Uh, Donnie, how much are you thinking about the look and the design of the characters and elements in Venom? I tend to be pretty visually minded. I was an artist first. I wanted to be a penciler, and so I went to SCAD to try and learn how to draw comics, and I ended up being in classes with Trad Moore and Jeff Shaw, and so I quit that dream because uh, I was like, I'll just hire you guys to do it. Like, you guys are way... So I tend to be pretty good about that stuff. You know, I know a lot of artists don't like when there's like angles being called and like shots called and stuff like that. But I always like when I get on a new book, I always call the artist and talk to them like I did with Ryan. And I tell them like, I put that stuff in there for me so that I can, it helps me think out things, but just ignore it if you have a better idea. That's, that's a whole you job. But Ryan's great about it. Like Ryan takes the ideas that I have and blows them out and makes them better always. But like design stuff, like we work pretty hand in hand on like the design of Null mm-hmm. and design of like the Null infected um, suit in the first issue yeah. and, stuff, and stuff like that. And especially going into Carnage and stuff. 
But I mean, Ryan's phenomenal. So I mean, I'm not ever really going to tell this dude how to draw Venom. You know? <laughs> yeah, Donnie's a. Although I did tell you how to draw Venom when we first started. <laughs> you kept saying thinner waist, thinner waist. Um, Donnie's a, one of the most, if not the most, visual writer that I've worked with. So it makes everything so much easier for me because when what he writes, I can see it instantly. I don't know if it's just we're on the same wavelength or if it is that way for everybody that he works with or, you know, if that's just how his, you know, scripts are, but yeah, it works out perfect. Yeah. And you just wrote the Unleashed issue, mm -hmm. which was great, really cool following the, the, what do we call him? The Venom Dog or? Venom Dog. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 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 Uh, following the Venom Dog. And then how involved were you, Donnie, with like that? Like, you know, what is the process like when you're mm -hmm. writing this story? Donnie, you know, we had a phone call, and yeah. then Donnie had a few ideas, and then we ended up using, I used some of them. I can't, like, I can't figure out where his ideas ended and mine yeah. began, but in the end, it became, you know, it was like, you know, Devin was involved as well. We kind of just concocted this whole thing, and once Kyle Hotz was on board, I was like, oh, I know what I'm going to draw. Like, just a bunch of stuff that he would be awesome at drawing. Or right, that's what I was going to yeah, 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 right. And, uh, you know, he killed it, so. We're both such huge Kyle Hotz fans. Yeah. That, like, yeah, especially when when we found out that he was going to be doing that, like, the Spire and, like, yeah. the, the Carnage-infected guys and everything right. like that. As far as my involvement in it, like, again, going back to, like, our collaboration and our friendship and stuff, like, I don't need to direct Ryan. Like, he knows, like, our thesis statement on the book. Like, he knows the direction that we're always going to push towards. And, like, the he's able to improvise in the right key. You know, if we were in a band, like, I don't, I don't tell this guy how to do his solos, you know. And so when he was going to write it, I was just like, yeah, these are kind of the, like, uh, objectives that we kind of need out of this. And then I never worried about it again. You know, right. I, I knew that he was going to just crush it. And then I know? feel, <laughs> I said, I told Donnie, I think I've learned so much from his writing that, part of me was just trying to do what he would do because that's what I, it turns out that's what I like. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So we talked to you guys being here for the last couple of days, but you live far apart. You, you mm -hmm. don't probably get to see each other too often. How does actually being in the same place, same area for couple straight days how does that change the way you work together the way you can brainstorm you know all the process at all it's pretty much the same yeah <laughs> ryan and i talk almost every day yeah. like uh, if it's not the just like texting and stuff ryan will call me or i'll call him i was breaking down the free comp day issue and like as the series has has evolved I've pulled back on how I write and stuff like the first page of the free comp book day thing I called him and I was like hey I'm not even going to panel this page out like yeah. you decide how this is going to look cool um, and he was like yeah, yeah I got it you know and so and stuff like that is so cool but yeah we talk every day I mean yeah. so because there's so much Venom stuff and the thing is is like even though Ryan's just drawing like like the main series and then he'll be drawing Absolute Carnage you know there's all these web of like tie-in issues and stuff like that like Ryan is involved in all of it like there's not a piece of this that is not me and Ryan so every piece of it, I'm on the phone with him if he's drawing it or not. Like, I mean, he's at the retreat because, like, he's chiming in on the tie-ins that, like, neither of us are going to be mm -hmm. doing, you know? So, I mean, it really is just – that's why I keep on saying is just, like, you know, other books that I've done, other, like, big things that I've done, you know, these retreats would normally be me out here, you know, breaking things down. But, I mean, the testament that Marvel understands that if you're going to have a Venom retreat, it's me and him. You know, it's awesome. It's just awesome to have backup 
and have a partner in this thing. You know, it, it makes the whole thing run smooth. And also, we're both very good about being. I'll call him and be like, "What do you think about this idea?" And he'll be like, "That's trash." That's trash, dude. And like, he'll draw something, and I'll be like, Mm-mm, "Yeah, that's not it, dude." You know, and like, so we're we're like quality control before it goes through editorial too. You know, yeah. and so it makes the whole ship run real smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honesty and no BS, which is great. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you you talked about it. You mentioned it a bunch. Absolute carnage. Yeah. What can we say at this point? What are you cooking up with carnage? Well, you know, we did a. <laughs> trying to think of what I can say. Loose lips sink yeah. ships over here. He's just like, I was going to back off. Ten minutes ago, we were over there like, oh, yeah, we know what we can oh, say. We no. got this all I was ready. waiting for what he was going to say. Yeah. I was going to be like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you've read Carnage Born, that's there's that kind of tells you everything that you need to know. You know, I mean, uh, Cletus Cassidy has been reborn. He's been resurrected by a cult that uh, is trying to free Null from the Clintar cage that he is in, that is the god of the symbiotes. And when Null is free, his reign of killing all the light and spreading the abyss will continue and he will begin with Earth. And Cletus is about that. Mm-hmm. He's into it. <laughs> and so they have bonded Cletus with the dragon symbiote that we saw in our first arc in Rex. And the idea is that to reconnect to the symbiote hive and wake Null up, Cletus has to kill every single person who has ever worn a symbiote, which if you've been reading Marvel Comics is quite a lot of people, including some real big guns like, mm-hmm. you know, Captain America and Wolverine and stuff like that. So we saw him reborn and kind of understand what he has to do in Carnage Born. And then in the free comic book day special, we saw his kind of uh, reign across the United States and across the world begin. We saw a very big person get killed in that mm-hmm. issue. And absolute carnage is just that, you know. These things with Cletus have been kind of happening on the, on the sidelines, and Eddie's been dealing with his own stuff with the emergence of his son and emergence of all these things and losing his symbiote. So, you know, at the beginning of absolute carnage, you have Eddie who doesn't have a symbiote and is trying to care for a child. And Eddie finds out this thing that we as the readers know. It, it's so scary because we're reading Venom. And you're like, Eddie, oh my God, dude, don't lose your symbiote. Like, like, Carnage is coming. And so Absolute Carnage is that. All these things meet up finally. Um, and it is a eldritch Lovecraftian horror event. It's huge. Yeah, that that's the emphasis for me is that I think it'll, it'll be unique. This event is going to be different from all the other ones because it's very much horrific, which, you know, you haven't seen before. You know, you've seen other political events or you've seen fantasy events. Fantasy events. But this time we've got, yeah. Big cosmic events, big sci-fi events. Right. I mean, when's the last time we had a horror event? Right. You know, if ever. I mean, the first issue of Absolute Courage is 60 pages and we were outlining it and it's so fun for me when we were outlining it and we were presenting it to like the entire editorial crew and then the marketing crew those last 20 pages, that set piece. Right. Everyone's just like, oh, that's so scary. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be wicked, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a fun year. We're, we're, yeah. We've got a lot of fun stuff cooking. Absolutely. It's, it's really good. Um, what attracts each of you to Carnage as a villain, as a character to play with? Personally, for me, I, you know, I was actually talking to somebody last night about it. Is this that, like, so much of the time you want to see the bad guy doesn't think they're a bad guy. They think that what they're doing is right. And you see that with like Dr. Doom and to a certain degree Thanos, right? Cletus Cassidy for sure knows that he's bad and he loves it. Yeah. Like he just loves opening people up. He's just <laughs> super into it, you know? Null certainly thinks that he's right. 
you know, he was born in the darkness and he's the Lord of the abyss and he very much sees the light as an act of war. But not Cletus. He's just, and the thing is, he, he likes to play games. He's very operatic. And he likes to set stages and, like, you know, be, be very theatrical, you know. He's a, a lot of ways the Joker to Venom's Batman, you know. And so getting to play with just a pure evil now combined with, an, a, like, a dark elder god symbiote, you know, is just my – you know me. This is my bread and butter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. And it's – now it's all like the pieces are falling into place of the horror and the, the terrifying aspects and possibilities yeah. of what's to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What about you? What, what, what attracts you specifically? Same thing. I mean, just he's pure evil, you know? Like I was telling Donnie, my four-year-old loves Venom, and I told him, he asked if he was a good guy or a bad guy. I said, well, he's a good guy. Sometimes he's a bad guy. Sometimes he tries to do good things, but he doesn't always do it. And he, was, he found out about Carnage. And he was saying, "Is he? A, uh, he's also a good guy and a bad guy." And I was like, "Nope, nope, <laughs> no, not even keeps, a little bit." He keeps wanting that to be the case because he likes the way he looks, and he keeps saying it. And I'm like, "You're not going to say that in my house. He is a bad guy. <laughs> 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 this guy has killed so many people, and yeah. he is evil." You know. So we usually only get to talk to a writer or an artist. I've talked to both of you many times, but not both core members of the team, especially core members of a team who work so closely together. Can you tell the This Week in Marvel viewers how an issue of Venom comes together? Generally speaking, it begins with a series of phone calls and texts and stuff like that. Um, you know, as we get deeper into the process, I, I think when we first started, it was a lot more talking mm-hmm. and being like, how do you want to approach this page and how do you want to break this stuff out? Especially in that first arc, which is a lot of really heady psychedelic mm-hmm. visions and stuff like that. And then, you know, it begins with, I have this insane Bible that probably one day we'll publish when the whole we thing is to. done. Um, but I go into that Bible, I select that issues like four paragraphs, drop that into a document take that, break that into pages, break those pages into panels, break that into dialogue and everything. And then my part is <laughs> pretty much done, <laughs> barring any rewrites, which honestly, you know, I, we were talking about earlier how the whole team is just vibing on the same frequency. I mean, Devin and Nick Lowe are as well. And I, I generally, because that outline was so vetted and approved and stuff, I generally speaking, one draft and I'm out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll do like a, a final draft after it's drawn, but that part is done for me. And then and then it draws itself. And then it draws itself and no, <laughs> and no problems. No, then I, I get the script and I just go page by page. I just start on page one. I do layouts in the morning and then I, I just start drawing the pages and turning them in. You know, I used to do layouts beforehand, but really I like to do a layout in the morning, pencil it, get it as far along as I can, try to get four pages done a week, have it done in five weeks. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, and it's also beautiful because you're because you're just penciling it. Yeah, you know, and seeing seeing Ryan's pencils, which we should also for sure publish at a certain point because your pencils just by themselves are. So, yeah, they really should. They're gorgeous, <laughs> man. Honestly, I don't want to make his ego bigger because neither of us uh, can afford that. We can't handle that um, in this room. But his pencils are absolutely out of this yeah. world. I mean, I hope you don't take this as anything but the utmost compliment. But this is the best work you've ever done in your life. I agree. And JP's inks. Yeah, I think knowing that. I can lean on him so much. JP, because he's so amazing, is like uh, the best thing that's ever happened to my art. Because I know where I end and where he begins, you know? And so I used to ink myself, and I think I was always, you know, switching things up and trying different things. Whereas now, 
I know exactly how I want it to look, and we get those results about 100% of the time. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't. I mean, the note section from you and I on both J.P. Mayer, who inks the book, and Frank Martin, who paints it, very small. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've uh, – do we ever give J.P. notes? Every once in a while, you I'm know? like, uh, could you put one line Yeah, right like here? a single <laughs> line yeah. here. Or like with Frank, I mean, never. I no, mean, like no. the – the Venom crew is we've perfected this thing by yeah. now. I mean, I don't. I mean, everybody's on the same page. Matching is, jean jackets, yeah, bro. I'm about. I mean, we yeah. all have matching tattoos. Yeah, I can't show it's you. It's pretty great. I can't show you, but I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, last thing, uh, how do you plan long term for Venom? Because that's one of the beauties of this whole project is you guys are thinking long term globally. How does that work? Well, you were in the my first retreat when I outlined the entire thing, and CB had to stop me like four times. I was like, "Are you gonna keep going? How much longer is this?" And I was You're like, "I'm like in a, I'm in. A, I'm just only in to year three. Please let me finish." Yeah, uh, literally. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I because like I've I've wanted Venom since I got to this company. I mean, I was gunning for it. I mean, I'm never one to gun for someone's job. I'll never be like, take this person off or anything like that. But I definitely let it be known what books I want, should they come free. Um, and it just so happened that Venom came free right after I did Thanos, right after I did Doctor Strange. And so, you know, these ideas for Venom have been percolating for so long. And so when I got um, the approval from um, uh, Axel and then CB and then Devin and, and then Nick, and I was fully vetted and I was going to be the guy, and the first document that I turned in was like 28 pages of just like, here's every arc that I want to do. Here's every last single thing. There was one arc, but they were like, we're not about that, that arc. That's silly. Hear what that one was. I'll yeah. tell you off, off <laughs> the mic. I still I maintain confidence that I'll be able to do it someday. But I mean, everything in that document is being done. And Devin's a huge Venom fan. I mean, that's not just a job for that guy. I mean, between Devin and I, like we we might be the 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 biggest concentration of Venom knowledge on the earth. You know, it's funny. Like you know, Twitter fans will like come at us and say something like about like trying to like topple us on trivia. And I'm like, do you know who you're stepping to right now? <laughs> you know, especially Devin, dude. So I don't know what the question is. I've gone so far off. No, um, I think you hit it. Like the long term plan. Yeah, how yeah. you plan it out. I mean, that's just how I. That's just how I operate. If I'm going to sit down on a title, I like to have it like planned out. I learned that from Jason. I mean, Jason has had War of the Realms in his pocket Aaron, since yeah. I've met him. You know, I mean, how many retreats in a row now yeah. have we heard the War the Realms thing? And he's, and it, it, it just makes his run and his work so beautiful because you can go back to his first issues on Thor and see those seeds starting to be planted. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's, I, I think it's, it's beautiful. And being able to give the chance because Thanos was kind of a short run and Doctor Strange is kind of a short run. And I've just wanted to sit down in a book and do an opus. You got you know? it. Yeah, got Boys it. are doing great. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being here again. You're the best. Thank Love you. Y You're the best. Wow, I learned so much. Right? Oh, man, these guys. What rascals and darlings. Yeah, they're so dangerous and rugged. Mm. Uh, thank you, boys, for being on the show. As we get into our community section, our question of the week is going to be about the recent holiday that passed in the States, the 4th of July. So if you could spend 4th of July with any patriotic superhero that's not Captain America, whom would you choose? Um, I would choose the Human Torch because he's a human barbecue. <laughs> and that would be a great way to spend Independence is Day. Is he patriotic? Yeah, he's from America. Okay. That's all it takes. 
He's patriotic to me. Oh, um, I wouldn't want to spend it with U.S. agent because I wouldn't want to hear his Ugh. theories on people and like, society because I feel like what? Oh, I also was thinking of the captain, which is Steve Rogers, but he is just rocking a deep V. <laughs> also good. Yeah. And he's got the, the, the like the knobs on his chest, right? Yeah. That hold on. It's a little cape. Yeah. Oh, sweet boy. So so not U.S. agent. Right. No, not U.S. agent. Um, Miss America. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, but as in America Chavez or Miss America, the OG 1940s Miss America. OG 40s. Um, I love that she watched a man die and then absorbed some powers. She has a wacky history. Yeah. It's excellent. I mean, where would someone learn about wacky histories of awesome female superheroes? Well, it's funny that you should ask, Ryan. Every month on The Women of Marvel, I do a spotlight of characters from a particular decade. I kicked it off with 1939, and I've been doing one every single month about every single decade. Yeah, and you have some expertise because you wrote a book. I did. I wrote a book called Marvel Powers of a Girl with illustrations by Alice X. Zhang about Marvel's most wild and wonderful Marvel characters. They are all ladies, and they all kick the butts. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty great. Uh, so, again, question of the week. Who would you like to spend your 4th of July with? Patriotic superhero that's not Captain America. You can tweet your answers using This Week in Marvel. Email them to twinpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. Triple P has weighed in. She wrote down Nuke on her paper. <laughs> oh, God. Which is a terrible choice. I, you know what, though? I can see. It is a choice. Persia and Nuke. He's just like, give me your face. She's got a bag full of, of pills, giving them to him. You want a blue? You want a red? You want a white? Here's a red. 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 But they would face paint because he sometimes doesn't have the flag painted on his face. Tattooed. Oh, is it tattooed? You could get a face tattoo together. A Aww. patriotic face tattoo. How nice. Yeah. Maybe you guys can hold like a tattoo stand where he tattoos others. So when he's like really like messed up, it's like. And now I want a, com- I'm like, I feel like I need to commission a mural of all of the Marvel superheroes doing patriotic stuff you would do at like a 4th of July fair. Yep. Uh, just like uh, Nuke is face painting, a human torch working the barbecue, you know, just like, you know, some stuff. Yeah. Um, what Miss America stealing someone's powers. <laughs> uh, there you go, guys. All right. It's time for community. We've got a couple in here from y'all. Uh, first one, that nerd Ron says, man, Props to Ryan and Lorraine because I was listening to one of This Week of Marvel podcasts and y'all mentioned how busy things we're going to get. Keep up the great work. We both are coughing, but we're both still here. We did it. Yeah. Well, we got through June, which is huge. That Yeah, that was a huge month. July is shaping up to be fairly wild as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got a, a trip. I we, we all have Comic-Con. That just makes everything more difficult. Yeah, and I'm going to be doing some secret stuff at the end of the month. Secret. All right. Karis Pollard says, run from it, hide from it. Hashtag War of the Realms is inevitably my This Week in Marvel of the Week. I want to share every panel, but you're saved because so many are so spoilery. I don't want to ruin it. Thank you. That's very nice of you. Uh, Just know that the art and especially colors are stunning at Russell Dodderman and Matt Wilson. Yeah. Um, War of the Realms is so good. It's so good. Just, it's. It boggles my mind. Um, as I like to say, it's so freaking rock and roll. It's so like, because it's just like such a, like in my mind, like it, it's my D&D fantasy and it's all to metal. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's so it. good. 
Uh, all right, last one we got this week is from Jiggy Cruz. He says, the karaoke question on This Week in Marvel for the new Agents of Atlas was hilarious. Love your answers, Greg Pak. We had a fun uh, chat with Greg, and he had written a scene with, um, I think it was the Protectors at that point. It was either the Protectors or the new Agents of Atlas of them going and doing karaoke. Um, so I want to ask about um, who they would, you know, what songs they would do. All right, listeners, we'll be back with uh, our big Comic-Con preview episode next week. And then so much Comic-Con. Yes, so much Comic-Con. Because you also, we we usually release some dailies, right? Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, We're going to be there. Chips is going to be there. We're going to release daily episodes talking about all the news. We're going to have a live episode. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Yeah, we're going to have a party and you're going to listen to it. You're going to have a party in your ear holes. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your ear holes. (laughs) 